Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. The Action Network Podcast. I'm just about that action, boss. Ready? All right, here we go. From the 10, throwing end zone. Spectacular catch. They're saying it's a catch. Touchdown. You see, most gamblers, when they go to gamble, they go to win. Oh, my God. That's incredible. Big bank, small bank, I like to make money. All right. That is the ultimate kibosh. You want to bet? <laughs> Welcome to the Action Network podcast presented by FanDuel. Brendan Glasheen joined by Brandon Anderson and Jill Gallant. You're listening to our final episode of the 2022-23 NFL season, the Super Bowl 57 recap episode. What a game. So many twists and turns. An excellent night for football fans altogether. Kansas City, Super Bowl champions for the second time since 2019, 38-35. Chiefs over the Eagles. A lot to unpack from this game, folks. We will dive into all the nitty-gritty. We'll take you through the game. Was the MVP call appropriate? What did we hit? What did we miss? We'll get to a season recap as well, what Brandon and Jill learned from this season, some things they take into next year and going forward. And we'll mix in a hot read for 2023, 2024 before we say goodbye. So uh, hold the tears back, fellas. We've got some football to talk about. Then we'll dive into all the nitty gritty of our emotions. We will start with Brandon Anderson. So as I said, Chiefs win 38-35. They cover as a dog. Patrick Mahomes now 7-3 and three straight up as an underdog. 8-1-1 one and one against the number. And the over hits handedly in this game. If you took some live overs, I'm sure you're feeling pretty good about yourself this morning. Brandon, let's uh, let's just jump in with a quick opening thought on how this game unfolded. Yeah, I was trying to think of the right analogy, and uh, I got to steal Nate Tice's analogy that I saw on Twitter. I felt like this game was the entirety of Game of Thrones. We had big characters. We had epic battle scenes, these great scenes, memorable, all sorts of good stuff. And then the ending. And then the ending is like the only thing you talk about. And it's like, oh man, the ending has spoiled the entire experience. And I really, I wanted to just kind of step back and be like, no, this was a great game between the two best teams in football. We got the best of both of these offenses for most of the game. We had great plays. Both quarterbacks made awesome plays throughout. We had lots of fun, cool coaching stuff in this game. And then the Chiefs won, you know, they they finished the job. Patrick Mahomes got the job done. Here I am, Brandon Anderson. I bet against Patrick Mahomes and, and lost and lived to tell about it. But, yeah, it was, it was a great game. We'll have a lot of fun talking about it. And uh, I kept thinking as we were going toward the end here, I was like, man, I wish we had, like, best of seven. Like, can we just keep watching huh. these teams play again? That would have been fun to see how they adjust and go from there. But just great football. Yeah, Jill, the buildup, I, I was ready for this thing to happen, right? We were just ready for kickoff. You, you're really beating, uh, you're beating a dead drum as far as just dissecting the game, picking it apart, who's healthy, who isn't, who's available, who isn't. And then you finally, to Brandon's point, the, it happens and you're, and you're looking for more still. That's what we like to do when it comes to football. We just want, we just want more. I saw Stucky tweet this morning. You know, there should be a college football bowl game on Monday. You know, that, like that's what we deserve here at this stage. But Jill, what'd you make of the night? Yeah, I mean, the first quarter, 
I mean, you could argue it was one of the best first quarters in Super Bowl history. It, just the way that the back and forth, uh, the way that they were moving the ball on each other. Uh, Gainwell touchdown betters got a little bit robbed there in the first quarter with Jalen Hurts then sneaking it in uh, right after. And I mean, the first play of the second quarter was that long bomb to A.J. Brown for a second touchdown for the Eagles to bring it to 14-7. to So it was just a lot of action right off the hop. Worked out well in my favor because I had first Chiefs touchdown to be Travis Kelsey at plus 330. Gave that out on the Best Bets pod. That hits, so I'm feeling over the moon. And then the A.J. Brown touchdown happens, and I'm just walking around my living room being like, this game is fucking awesome. Like, you know, just like a classic (laughs) casual fan, right? So, um, yeah, just one of those games that obviously the ending is going to be the most of what we talked about. But I think the biggest takeaway is that it's just difficult to defend a generational quarterback like Patrick Mahomes for a full four quarters. So let's talk about the first half. Those first two drives, I think, encapsulate the two teams. Eagles, 13-play drive, churning out the clock, 75 yards, almost five minutes of time. Kansas City comes right back. Some big plays by the quarterback before he got hobbled. We'll get to that. In just three minutes, the Chiefs answer, and you got the feeling like, oh, we're, we're, in, for a, we're in for a classic. We're in for a shootout. Brandon, when you look at the first half, Eagles up 24-14 at the end of 30 minutes. Just dominating time of possession. We'll get to that, too. And that's kind of what they've done all year, no matter who the opposition was. Make of what you will of their schedule and who their opponents were and who the quarterbacks were. But that was the, the Eagles were ready for the test. And but then Kansas City catches a break and they get a defensive touchdown. Thanks to a really, really they're all all errors are costly, but one that resulted in seven for the Chiefs defense. Yeah, I mean, obviously that for as great as the Eagles were in the first half, that defensive touchdown was the key play of the game. If you had to just pick one from a lot of big plays. So the play that's a little bit overlooked. So right before that, Eagles are on second and one. They get stuffed, Kenneth Gainwell. So third and one, they line up for that unstoppable sneak. And I thought that push sneak kind of became sneakily a story. It was a story of the season for the Eagles. Mm -hmm. It was a story of the game here. By my count, the times that they were able to run that sneak or line up to run it, the Eagles were seven of eight. They they converted it six times. They had a penalty that they drew one time. However, the one that they missed is the play before the defensive touchdown where they lined up and then they got called correctly, I think, for a false start. They showed the close-up. I think Somalo was, was got a false start there. But that is the play. That went from third and short, an unstoppable guaranteed first down that they got the whole rest of the game. And the next play, it's third and long. Jalen Hurts tries to keep, gets stripped. Didn't really do that the entire season. Eagles never turned it over. They had great ball security all year. And then, bam, Nick Bolton's in the end zone. We're 14-14. And look, if not for that, it's 24-7 at the half. The Eagles had 20 series and turned 17 of them into first downs. Patrick Mahomes was on the field less than Rihanna in the first half, basically (laughs) like it was just domination otherwise, but that one defensive score minus eight and a half EPA points. So eight and a half expected points toward the chiefs, not just the touchdown, but remember the Eagles are out by the 50. They're going to score because they scored on nearly every drive this game. So that took points away from the Eagles and put them on the scoreboard for the chiefs. We talked about the defensive touchdown. I had Philadelphia as best bet. Didn't hit that one. Uh, At FanDuel, it was just plus 300 for any defensive touchdown. So hopefully you got that one. 16 defensive scores now in the last 31 Super Bowls, which is just a wild number. And importantly, 21 out of 22 all-time defensive Super Bowl scores by the winning team. So the Chiefs did uh, keep that one alive. Yeah, looking back, and you and just you just mapped it out before the defensive score. I, what I do applaud Sirianni, that staff, as well as Jalen Hurts and that offense, that they do play with urgency no matter the score. They understand being up just a touchdown that, in a way, makes the Kansas City Chiefs dangerous. That they, they were play the Eagles played the whole night as if they were trailing, and they think that speaks to. Well, they haven't been in many of these spots this year where they've trailed, but they they play like they're trailing with some of their play calls. The, the, the play moves to third and five, and then you get the defensive score, Jill. And the minute that happens, I think, oh, 
like the Eagles still playing with that mentality, it it, it bit them. And, and granted, it's, it's a fluky play, I think, because Hurts, generally speaking, has been pretty great with ball control and valuing the, the football. Yeah, and the one thing I was going to say too, Brendan, about that, and I'm not sure how much it played a part, but the field conditions in this game were just horrible. Like uh, nobody could get proper footing. And from an Eagles defense standpoint, it really put them on their back foot because uh, again, sorry for the pun there, but again, Mahomes getting it out quickly, but they had no sacks on Patrick Mahomes the entire game. That was the book is that this defense is historic, you know, the 85 bears type of sacks numbers kind of thing. And they couldn't really get to him. They didn't really get much pressure on him at all to really affect him. And, uh, but on the flip side, it actually was very much aiding Eagles props. Like anybody who was betting an over on an Eagles prop, whether that be was Jalen Hurts rushing yards, uh, all three receivers, both A.J. Brown, Devontae Smith, and Dallas Goddard go over their receiving yard props. Kenneth Gainwell's having a game. He, uh, You know, he's getting over his rushing yard prop and receiving yard prop. I think the only guy that was completely fell short and uh, was actually, I think, went to the locker room with a little bit of an injury was Miles Sanders. So, Outside of that, if you're an Eagles better, uh, you were feeling pretty good going into halftime because you felt like, okay, we're up by 10. We're I'm hitting all of my props. I know there was a ton of people out there in social media that I saw that was basically just going all in on Eagles sides and, and props on that nature. So they're walking into halftime feeling pretty good. But then, uh, especially with the fact that Mahomes, his ankle injury again flares up, you think, okay, we're going to see a repeat of the second half of the way he looked against the Jaguars. No, he comes out and you could argue that Toradol now is probably the MVP of this game. And I would, you could even argue as well that stock prices of Toradol have probably gone up because of just the mere mention of being used over the last three weeks. Like I could argue that that Toradol has been used on broadcast more in the last three weeks than it probably was used the entire season. Did you guys catch, so going into the second half, right before the half started, did you guys catch Aaron Andrews say that the Chiefs do not make Andy Reid available when the Chiefs are trailing at halftime? I I found that very interesting. I'm like, oh, fitting that when the quarterback got hurt that the the coach couldn't weigh in because the team was losing by 10. I just thought that was interesting because, well, that that's part of the, the story, though, is, is the quarterback healthy? So Aaron Andrews did not get access to Andy Reid at halftime to give the people an understanding as to what the plan might be a quarterback. If it's going to be Chad Henney, will Mahomes return? As we know, Mahomes did go back out there. I just thought that was an interesting note. Oh, well, it's because they're losing. This is normal chiefs protocol at halftime that when they don't have, uh, when they don't have a lead, the coach is not available. Felt very Belichickian. Chad Henney just retired too, retiring as a champion. I saw that. So that hey, he made plenty of big plays in their runs before when he had to sub in when the helmet comes off and he makes that play to I think it was Tyree Kill um, a couple years ago on a on against a the Jaguars play. he threw that touchdown to uh, right. to to Travis Kelsey to kind of just keep that this year pace yeah so well again he was very vital for them I think too the the length of the halftime show weirdly ended up being a factor here because mm-hmm. you get a little more time for Mahomes to get that ankle Bingo. right you know I'm sure they did a little work there. And I thought the difference in Chiefs coaching in particular was massive from first half to second half. Some of the adjustments that they made and some of the play calls that they they brought out in the second half, kind of seeing, okay, here's some tendencies we found. And that is a thing the Eagles coaching had been great at all season. I thought Nick Sirianni and the Eagles coaching, I have notes all over the place, masterclass for the first two and a half to three quarters. Uh, You mentioned that the Eagles played with urgency. Yes or no. They played like the team that had to put up points, but from the start, I noticed they milked that clock down. They were running the play clock, everyone down to like, oh, it's going to be a delay of game. Nope, they got it off. But I think that was a plan from the start. It just shorten the game. No plays for Pat Mahomes, guys. Just keep them over there. Just keep running the clock. And they did a great job multiple times until the one that really mattered. They didn't call a timeout to stop a delay of game. They would not burn those timeouts because Sirianni knew how important they were. Just lots of those little edges. Obviously, the fourth down aggressions and the plays to set up the fourth down. Mm -hmm. Those are the things like those little 2% edges that just kept adding up all game. And I I thought that that was going to be the story. The Nick Sirianni masterclass coaching against Andy Reid. And then the the long halftime, I think, switched that around a little bit. It's interesting, too. I noticed this on Twitter. 
at the beginning of the half, I saw the Chiefs heading into halftime. It was plus 370 on the money line. No, no snaps, nothing happened. And by the time that we took the next snap, that mm-hmm. had dropped down to plus 280. So uh, I bought a little Patrick Holmes insurance at halftime. Hopefully you saw that on the app or on Twitter, able to follow just a little bit. It's still Pat, you know, we, I had the Eagles cap. I was on them, but it's Pat. You never know. And then we come out and and right away, things look different. We knew the chiefs would get the ball out of the half. They come down and get the touchdown right away. And then the Eagles had 17 play drive, the longest drive by plays in Super Bowl history. And at that point, I think that's on the broadcast, literally double as many plays as the Chiefs had. And you should be up a lot, but they settle for the field goal just before the half. I thought they a little bit settled for the field goal. They could have maybe run another play or two after the big A.J. Brown catch. And that was uh, toward the end. All the good things Sirianni did this game and had been doing all season, all that aggression. It, it's like he got a little bit of cold feet maybe a couple of times. They called the timeout uh, before that field goal, third and 11. They they kept it third and 11, then dump it off to Kenneth Gainwell. That is not the aggressive sort of play they were doing. And then they get the field goal. But that the field goal, that's a victory for the Chiefs there. That, so I'm talking about when the Chiefs go up 27, or sorry, yeah, the, the Eagles go up 27 to 21. Yep. At that point, as much as the Eagles had dominated and had just run the clock so long, the Chiefs defense is just gashed and been on the field the whole game. I was like, uh-oh, 27-21, and here's Pat. There he comes on the other side. And sure enough, after that field goal decision, the Eagles had only 11 more plays the whole rest of the game that they even saw the field offensively. Just just to backtrack for a minute, too, and I know Bet What Happens Live, Jill was with Nick Giffen. I thought Pacheco, the Pacheco call was phenomenal, and that seven-yard run to start that third-quarter drive was massive. I, I know a lot of folks at action were on the under-longest rush for Jarek McKinnon. That broke my heart. 14 yards, Jarek McKinnon, really, of all people, on a third and one. So the way they, they ran the ball really well, I thought Kansas City, Andy Reid had discipline. We're going to still run the ball. We got to ease Pat back in here, despite, to Brandon's point, having that extra time with the halftime show to get Mahomes ready. I thought that was crucial. As we know, on the touchdown drive following by Philadelphia, the controversial was it a fumble or was it a catch or was it an incomplete pass, which or a catch, then fumble or an incomplete pass? They end up ruling it incomplete pass. That could have swayed the game, as we talked about early on, possibly not one, but two defensive touchdowns, not the case. And then kind of speeding back up to where Brandon just left us, the field goal by Philadelphia uh, later in that third quarter ended up being massive for the Chiefs because then they come back down and score. And Kadarius Toney was also missing in this game as a receiver, but whoa, he made his presence felt on the 65-yard punt return to set up another Kansas City touchdown uh, early on in the fourth quarter, or at least uh, right after the touchdown by the Chiefs in the fourth um Eagles punt and then of course the return sets up an easy score um yeah so that was that was huge and then oh my goodness the Chiefs the the the, the defense there was no defense on Devontae Smith Jill which then set up another score um uh, by the goal line for Jalen Hurts yeah I know a lot of guys who had Devontae Smith anytime touchdown and were pissed that he did not calculate (laughs) kind of where he was on the field because that's usually his bread and butter is that he is very aware of where he is on the field and body control and he goes out at the you know four yard line Jalen Hurts gets the octopus rushes for a touchdown and the two-point conversion I wanted to actually bring this down to a little bit more of a macro level instead of looking at Sirianni versus Reed I thought it was more of a masterclass of the enemy versus Gannon because Gannon the defensive coordinator for the Eagles he was playing zone defense against this team the entire time and they were just eating it up especially in the second half and when they got to the goal line it was almost like they didn't know what to do because Sky Moore and Kadarius Tony both score on wide open touchdowns the same way too because what they would do is they would run in towards the line and the secondary would catch up on them and then they would break out and it was like both times they were wide open on that which kind of is a little foreshadowing to what happened to the end of the game there we could talk about that a little bit more between Bradbury and Juju Smith-Schuster but yeah, the one thing I was going to say about Tony is it was the full Kadarius Tony experience. He drops the third down conversion. He only gets one catch, 
but it's the catch for a five-yard touchdown. And then he has the longest punt return in Super Bowl history. Again, it was just the full uh, Kadarius Tony experience if, if you're uh, if you're a better. Uh, but uh, we would think, well, the biggest touchdown odds that was hitting uh, in this game was the KC defense. Actually, no, Sky Moore, when he scored that touchdown, he was actually at 11-1 to 1 to score a touchdown. And coming into the game, he was talked about how he was going to probably be used sparingly. You know, the fact that both Juju and Kadarius Tony are going to be playing. And he catches what is probably is the game-winning touchdown, in a, in a sense, right? So um, that was probably one of the biggest things that I just found from a takeaway standpoint is that Gannon, who is being considered for some head coaching jobs, I'm not sure if he's going to still be in that position uh, going forward because Andy Reid and Biennemi and the entire coaching staff just did a number on them in the second half where the Eagles did not know what to do. That was Sky Moore's first touchdown of the season. It was. Career, <laughs> right? Career, he's a rookie. Right? rookie yeah, because he's a rookie, yeah. Good time for it. Yeah, I, I want to jump in on that. That, that to me, the sequence, we, I don't want to skim quite past it. Before the Eagles got their last touchdown there, to me, that sequence right before that, the, the punt return, the touchdown, and the, yep. the drive before, to me, that's the key sequence of this game. So just a couple of things to point out. I want to talk about that, that Kadarius-Tony play as well. So Eagles have third down. They called it third and two on screen. It looked like third and three. They're on the 32-yard line. And again, the whole game... The Eagles, uh, they're, they're down, uh, they're down a point at this point, and they're they're backed up a little bit. The whole game, they're just moving the chains. Just third and three, just run the ball. You know that if you can get two yards, it's a first down because fourth and one, you're unstoppable. You've never stopped the Hertz push sneak all game. And instead, I thought they got a little too creative with play calling offensively. They tried to do a little pass, and then Spags dialed up the pressure, and Hertz kept kept doing like spinning left to get out of pressure. He's yep. useless spinning left. Like the play is dead. He he can't throw across his body or do some of the stuff that Mahomes or others can. So I thought that was a bad play call. Now it's fourth down and a long two or three on their own 32. But Sirianni, I think, goes for that. If it's the first quarter, I think he goes for that. If it's the regular season, I know he goes for it. We saw him go for it around there against the Niners first drive last week. I thought it was a poor decision to just punt the ball away. And then, yeah, bad punt. The stocky covered special teams a lot for us. The punter was a big difference in this game. The Eagles literally activated their punter just before the game. Chiefs had the best punter in football. So we get a bad low punt. Low punt means the coverage can't get down the field in time. And Kadarius had a great return. Like he had to kind of squeeze around from the left and get back over to where his blockers all were and has the great return down there. Then, Chiefs are at the five, but it gets the third down. And I'm thinking, okay, Eagles, one stop here, one stop. Because you know Sirianni probably would have gone for it there, but Andy's going to settle for the field goal. We've seen him do that a lot of times, thinking one stop. And that's that touchdown now to Kadarius. Or sorry, that one's – I think that's – is that Sky Moore or Kadarius? That was Sky Moore. Sky Moore yep. caught the touchdown after the Tony return. Yeah. So that play, Joe, you mentioned that they, they basically look the same. That, that was the same play. That's the mm -hmm. identical play flipped when it's sky on the next one and what's so cool. And this is where Andy Reid, I thought, and the were incredible. That play, that play was run against the Eagles by the Jaguars back in week three by Doug Peterson. They put a guy in motion in and then out and saw that the Eagles didn't flip their coverage to get to that guy. And, and the Jags got an easy walk-in touchdown week three. The Chiefs basically didn't run that the whole year and saved it for that moment. And then saw it work so well that they ran it for another touchdown and another key third down and ran it for essentially the winning play on the third down to do the penalty by running it a third time, but flipping it and having the receiver go back out for the penalty. So that was a huge, just incredible play. The other one too, for Andy Reid, late in the game, the Mahomes had the long scramble that got them down in the field goal range. Right before that, another third and one. The Chiefs have not been good in third and short all year because they didn't run the ball well. And the Chiefs on that play ran Pacheco for like a 10-yard uh, kind of sweep out to the left. And that play that they had, they, they put Burton on the field, their fullback, who basically never plays for them, like 7% snap rate. That play is directly a play that the Lions ran week one against the Eagles. And the Chiefs saw that play kept it in their back pocket in case we might need it sometime the whole season. 
And then with the season on the line, third down and one, Andy Reid pulls it out. They basically, the Eagles can't be prepared for that. The Chiefs haven't run it all year. They they held these plays back the entire season. And like, as much as I had all my Sirianni masterclass notes and and I thought the in-game coaching edge would really go to Philly and Andy Reid and Biennemi, they made me eat my words. I don't even know. I wouldn't even say negatives about Gannon. Like the zone D doesn't stop it. But I thought this was just good offense wins and they had the right play calls and, and that those that sequence for me i would have rather andy gone for two for the the nine point lead there but that yes. sequence changed everything for me that was what i was going to ask you brandon is that we could praise reed and the enemy with the way that they were <laughs> playing in the second half but not going for that two-point conversion that could have really came back to cost them and luckily you know they were able to convert on the octopus with Jalen Hurts the next way down but there was a real possibility that people were talking about if he had not converted a two point and they only had a seven point lead that Sirianni might have went for two anyway on that next touchdown drive just because of how aggressive he is now I didn't necessarily agree with that because again it's a Super Bowl I want to be aggressive but at the same time let's not go nuts but there's real possibility that Reed could have put himself in a more vulnerable standpoint there so I think that's the only thing that I would say is I understand yeah. why Reed did take the extra point instead of the two point, but man, at, in the moment you were like, what are you doing? Like, you know, so yeah, that, that was my biggest takeaway from that too, from a coaching staff standpoint. I'm glad I'm not alone on that. Cause I'm yelling at the TV, go for two, make this a nine yeah. point game, make it a two score game. So it doesn't play out, but to Andy Reed's credit, he gets a lot of crap for not handling the clock. Well, and I thought, I know the officials were part of this at the end. We'll, we'll get to that. They were part of the game, the whole game. So let's be fair. As Brandon <laughs> said, it's easy to pick apart the end. They were a factor. We mapped out some of those plays earlier in the game. The officials, uh, the non Devonte Smith catch, the Miles Sanders, like I brought up, was it a, was it a catch and fumble or was it an incomplete pass? Incomplete pass, uh, which helped the Eagles, by the way. And then the play at the end, the hold on Juju Smith-Schuster, which, yep. I'm blanking on who got called for holding, but the player Brad admitted Brady. he admitted after the game that he held him. I, I got to think the biggest takeaway from this game was that defensive penalty at the end. That That is really what everybody's going to talk about in this game. We could talk about how awesome Mahomes was, how awesome Jalen Hurts was. Unfortunately, the ending, even if uh, we may disagree on kind of what happened and all that stuff, I, I think that is going to be the takeaway outside of the fourth down conversion the the Eagles play that they run if whether or not that is going to be allowed in football games going forward because of potential injury risk and just the edge that it gives like you know a lot of the time they got to give the defensive uh, side at least some uh, ability to be able to defend the ball and that's nearly an unstoppable play so I'm wondering if those two things that'll be the biggest takeaways from this game is outlawing that play and maybe even potentially uh, outlawing that defensive penalty call. You got a thought on that, Brandon, as far as the final drive, what set up the win. And then, I mean, I know you had some thoughts there on the chiefs. You you had said coming out of the, yeah. out of the halftime, out of the halftime show that you thought the way the chiefs kind of dissected what occurred, they, you felt they learned something from the first half and how they came out. And then of course the, the penalty helps. They were already in field goal range. I would add uh, before that, but um yeah. Take us through the final drive before we. Uh, yeah, so so second half, the Chiefs had the ball for four drives. They scored 24 points, and it was only not 28 because Jarek McKinnon decided it wasn't 28 and, and slid down there. The Chiefs had 230 possible yards to gain from when they got the ball in the second half. They gained all of them. They got them all. The only one they ended up with 221 because they got 229 and then knelt a couple times back at the end. Right. So but minus average, seven total. Mahomes yeah. back five, then back two on the kneel downs. Yep. And uh, they they averaged almost seven yards of play, the Chiefs, the entire second half. Patrick Mahomes, last play of the first half, comes up limping. That third down and long, he kind of scrambles, he takes the hit. And we're all wondering what happened. Well, what happened is 13 of 14 in the second half. The one incompletion was a throwaway. So on purpose, he had two touchdowns in 0.65 EPA per play, which is just an outrageous high, absurd number. So that's the Chiefs of the second half. No penalties, no turnovers, no punts, no sacks, no sacks the entire game. So Mahomes comes down. I mentioned the Pacheco third down and one run. That was huge. Up until that play, the Eagles get a stop there. I think they're the favorite team because you get the ball back, and it's not like the Chiefs' defense really won the game here. 
Chiefs defense came up big on like two or three huge plays. And otherwise the Eagles were pretty much moving the ball whenever they needed to. Uh, even the only thing that really stopped the Eagles offense was that time ran out and that there were a couple key penalties that were right. And the one fumble. So other than that, the Eagles were doing what they needed to. So Pacheco gets the run. And then I'm so upset about the penalty, not about the penalty itself, but because right before that, Patrick Mahomes has this like all-time Pat Mahomes moment on a bad ankle, grimacing, runs up the middle, scrambles for 26 yards. The Eagles scramble defense was a, a talking point. That was a, was a big thing. So Mahomes, 26 yards, basically what ended up being kind of the clinching play. So after that third down, Eagles need to get off for the penalty. But at the Mahomes run, it's first and 10 on the 17. The moment he goes down, there's 246 left. This is where I thought Sirianni screwed up a little bit again, the coaching staff. You had called timeout right away. 246, let it take all the way down there, almost the two-minute warning. You're down only two timeouts. They burned one earlier, and that ended up being huge here. They call timeout. And that's hold on, real quick, real quick. Was the one he burned a challenge? Was the challenge on Smith? No, the, oh, the, no. that was a read challenge. So that was the one right. that he burned was in the third quarter, the play before the field goal on the 17 play drive. I mentioned earlier that they had consistently not called timeouts to save the delay a game. They purposely would take the five yards, third and 11, they called the timeout. Right. And then did a dump off play to gain well that didn't do much anyway. So that's the one that felt like the one burned him out, the thing they hadn't done all year, really. So on the play to Juju, here's what I think. On the one hand, I think the conversation is overblown. The call was questionable. I don't know if it was bad. I don't know if it was good. I don't know if it's you swallow your whistle at the big moment. All of that narrative, I just, I can't do it. The decision to commit the penalty is the problem. And that is on James Bradbury. And that's on the coaching staff because it was the worst possible outcome to commit a penalty and give them the first down. Give up the touchdown. That is a way better outcome for you. In that moment, you're down seven with the ball and a chance to go down and tie or try to win something. You have a chance. The decision to grab onto him was the big egregious problem, not the call itself. On the other hand, the people who are saying, oh, well, the Eagles were they were screwed anyways. The Chiefs were just going to score. It didn't matter. Win probability. A minute 50-ish left at that point. If you're the team, like basically you put the win probability calculator. The Chiefs were 26% or the Eagles are 26% likely to win at that point. After the penalty, and then McKinnon, smart play to slide down, and you run the clock down, and basically now the Eagles get the ball back with like one play left deep in their own. Like you're in miracle range. You're you're in, sorry, Brandon, like Patriots miracle into the Raiders sort of range here where you need some wild, crazy finish. Oh, so, that Patriots team, got it. No. Yeah, that one. Yeah, that team. So 26% down to 0%. 26 is not very good. The Eagles were unlikely to win. They would have had to go down and get a touchdown or a field goal and maybe win an overtime but 26 down to zero, that's what the penalty did was it took a long shot chance for the Eagles to basically a no shot chance for the Eagles. Yep. Well said. Um, yeah. You give up the touchdown there. I tend to agree. I kept thinking, okay, they're, they're going to let him score. They're going to let him score. It just never happened. Patrick Mahomes, MVP. Jill, you have thoughts on that. My only thought was that we talked about it off air. Like, should you have bet at pregame? And I don't think so. Like, I don't think you would have taken Mahomes in this spot because the Chiefs were already underdogs. Like, part of the reason why you would take an MVP at that low of odds is if they're already favored and you're trying to find a more profitable angle because it's more likely that if they're going to win, it's probably going to be the MVP. That would have worked had you been doing it on the Jalen Hurts side because they were favored by minus one, minus one and a half, depending on when you bet it throughout the week. He's around plus 130 for MVP. Had the Eagles won, he certainly would have won MVP. Um And I mean, going into halftime, I mean, you could make a case that Kelsey was probably going to win it in the first half. I mean, Nick Bolton, if we could determine what a catch was, probably would have won MVP in that spot. But uh, yeah, I think that was it is that the right player won. But at the same time, from a betting perspective, uh, it's probably wasn't the best approach to bet on Mahomes pregame at the plus 130 odds, especially when he was around plus 350 entering conference championship week. Yeah, well, it's interesting the two biggest plays of the game for the Chiefs 
I thought, and by win probability, were the defensive score that Nick Bolton had, and then the Kadarius Tony punt return. That was a 19% win probability to swing 65 yards. Those two plays were worth 13.4 expected points. Two plays, 37% win probability in a coin flip game while Patrick Mahomes watched on the sidelines. That's not taking anything away. Mahomes was magnificent. He was incredible, untouchable in the second half. But you win with the team, and the Chiefs team helped them win the game on special teams, which didn't happen great all season for them, and then on defense, which was even worse for much of the season. But those guys came through. I, I There's some talk about, well, should Jalen Hurts have been MVP in a losing cause? Jalen Hurts was fantastic. Jalen Hurts had 0.4 EPA per play outside of the fumble. His numbers were incredible. I thought just as a passer, at times he outplayed Mahomes. He just had dialed up some just dimes to Dallas Goddard, to Devontae Smith, these great throws. Eagles, especially on late downs, were incredible. What? You don't get to take away the fumble six. If you are the guy that fumbles the ball away and gives up the play that costs you the game, you're not the MVP in a losing cause. You're also the reason you're the losing cause. Like you get all the good and the bad. I thought that was going to disqualifying for Hertz. Mahomes was great MVP. He's the fifth player now with multiple Super Bowl MVPs. So what's wild is so that that list is, of course, Eli Manning got to start there. Terry Bradshaw, Bart Starr, two each. Joe Montana with three. And some guy named Tom has five, I guess. So Pat Mahomes joins the list. Okay, on to the recap. Brandon Anderson, some big wins, misses uh, from the season that you'd like to highlight. Well, I went back the first time the three of us were on a podcast together. The first bet we gave out for the season was Patrick Mahomes to win MVP 9-1. to one. The first thing we said ever. And look, that doesn't sound like, oh, great, great job, guys. Genius pick giving out Pat Mahomes win MVP. <laughs> but that, we had the narrative early on. We also gave out Jalen Hurts 25 to 1 as a, a long shot that we liked on that one. So that was a big win. Eagles were a team that we talked up big here on this podcast on Action Network. Eagles one seed 14 to 1, best record 20 to 1, NFC 12 to 1. And then a couple other ones Jaguars, worst to first, 8 to 1. That was a big win. And then, of course, got to finish with the one we loved all year Seattle Island plus 1,500 playoffs mid-year and lots of Seattle Island plays along the way. Some rah-rah Tomlin spots too, but Seattle Island, you know, that, that will be a lasting memory for me this season. Did you uh, did you have the Eagles to be the last team to lose a game too? Or... I don't think so. I think that I I went I, I went go with long shots on those. I, I believe I may have actually had Washington for that one based on a schedule. <laughs> so yeah, that one didn't happen for me. Okay. Jill, <laughs> any uh, favorite bets or moments from the year? Preseason yeah, picks? But, yeah, we we did a futures pod at the start of the season. So yep. first bet that I gave out was Offensive Player of the Year, and that was Justin Jefferson at 16-1. to uh, Felt pretty good about that. Now, I also bet his, uh, his college teammate, Jamar Chase, at plus 3,000. Had he played a full season, maybe he would have been in contention, but I'll, I'll settle with a Justin Jefferson win anytime. Uh, biggest miss was definitely taking Shaq Leonard uh, for defensive player of the year. He didn't even play three games. Uh, I mean, the odds were there, but yeah, didn't even play really that much. Just a lot of second place finishes where you feel good. You'll be able to say, Oh, I got this, but doesn't really matter because that's futures betting for you. You know, you had Jalen hurts, most rushing touchdowns, Joe Burrow, most passing touchdowns. You know, we had Doug Peterson for coach of the year. Um, but again, that's futures betting for you is that if they don't win, they're just a nice story. And that's about it. I think this next point of discussion is very important for listeners, lessons and takeaways and what you can learn from a season. You don't want to overreact to just one year and not take away from what you've built as far as study analysis, what you what goes into your handicapping, but we'll go to Brandon first on sides. I know Jill's made his, uh, his name for touchdowns, interceptions from earlier in the year. I mean, man, that's taken me back a bit. Just Matt Ryan, please play one more season just for that, just for that in itself <laughs> for, for interceptions. Um, I mean, maybe the odds won't be that good if he comes back in that case. Uh, but yeah, lessons learned and what we take away from the season. So you can be better next year, Brandon. Yeah, I jotted down a couple of notes. The first thing is coaching staff and trenches still matter and matter a lot more than we give them credit for. My first two articles at Action Network this football season were covering those two. 
The Eagles and the Chiefs were number one and number two in offensive line rankings. The Chiefs were top two on both of those articles, trenches and coaching staffs. And here they are, Super Bowl champion. That stuff matters. You got to pay attention to it. One elite draft or one elite offseason can change everything. We talked about the Eagles offseason. Bradbury, he he came in. Hassan Reddick, 19 and a half sacks. He came into that team. They got Jordan Davis on the draft. Like that changed everything. And two, talked about Seattle Island. They were a team that many, including myself, wrote off before the season. Their drafts change everything for them. So I think we got to be ready to be nimble and adjust to some of those teams. Big takeaway for me, and I know this will come as a huge surprise, but y'all are not playing enough futures. Futures have to be played before the season, but not just then, but all year long. Keep building those portfolios. We got big wins all season long. We built out the award portfolios. We got some of those make or miss playoff bets. If you follow in the app, we finish, I think, plus 81 units on the futures for the season. And a few, a few more wins that couldn't track in there. Some of the awards are still going to show up there. The futures market is, is beatable. And it's not just a thing that you grab a few long shots on before the season. So for me, that was a big takeaway. And then the thing I'm excited about forward is I look back at I had the quarterback rankings before the season. Top five on my list, Aaron Rodgers, Tom Brady, Russell Wilson. Whoops. And the quarterback list is changing. You know, Brady is retired. Russell Wilson should be retired. Aaron Rodgers <laughs> might be retired. He's like in a dark chamber somewhere as we record this. And the new top three is Mahomes, Josh Allen, and Burrow. Some order, obviously. But after that, well, where, where are we going? Like, who who's coming? We got... Jalen Hurts and Tua made big steps forward. I think Trevor Lawrence is going to continue to move toward that path. Is it Justin Fields? Is it is it Trey Lance or someone? Is it a rookie coming up? I think we're kind of seeing the quarterback changing the guard. We saw Rodgers, Brady, Breeze for so long. It was the same guys for like 15 years. And like Pat is the old guard now. And we, we're going to see a next gap. And I think that will start to determine kind of how we play things going forward. So that some of the stuff I got my eye on there. One of my favorites from the year was Garrett Wilson, the Garrett Wilson offensive rookie mm-hmm. of the year that you gave out. That was what week that was in November. That was late was November. Late. And we based yeah. that was, that was basically the live. We went on green dot to record something else entirely and got the yes. live news that Zach Wilson was getting benched. And that was just like, Hey, well, Gary Wilson was a lot better when he had a real quarterback. What if that happened? That was a 40 to one. My only regret on that one is, is a half unit. I wish we'd done a little bit more with that one, but yeah, you got to keep an eye. That's the thing with those futures markets. Here we are on like some random Thursday morning, like doing green dot live and a news piece comes out. You've got to be able to say, okay, that happened. What's the angle. And the angle usually is, well, let's adjust the line right now for the game right now. But What's the big picture? What's the long-term thing? Because if you can get down the board a little bit and get some of these 20 to one, 30, 40 to ones, the book, sometimes those end up priced not quite right. And the difference of a win for you, a 40 to one versus a 20 to one is only a slight difference in implied win probability, but Mm -hmm. double the money for our pockets. So getting those big long shot futures when they hit can really pay off. And as far as a lesson, I think it hits on your point, too. You can hit on everything in the draft, and the Jets had a great draft. The, the Seahawks had a great draft. you, you, you got to make sure you get the quarterback right. And you can have one great year from Geno Smith and have a, a comeback player of the year season. But the Jets make that switch, and while they didn't make the playoffs, that switch going from your second overall pick to uh, a seventh rounder or a guy who was at the bottom of the draft and Mike white, it, it can change it, Like you said, it changes your thinking, not just for that week, but how can we make a play going forward? Jill interceptions were the thing on the best bets pod early in the year. You were hitting on that guys at plus money, take advantage of those spots. And then of course the, uh, I, I mean, you correct me if I'm wrong. I thought from a t- anytime touchdown perspective, you got rolling when the playoffs started. Absolutely. And that helped, obviously, because it was a pretty big struggle uh, at the start of the year, especially the first nine weeks of the year, which saw a hundred less touchdowns in just the previous season, which completely changes odds and the way that goes. So I'm going to try to make this quick, but these are the three takeaways that I have from this season and ways that we can use this info for actionable bets for next year. So the first thing that you want to do from a touchdown score perspective 
is you want to try to identify a pocket passing quarterback who's got that underrated athleticism that you think could probably have a big year for rushing touchdowns. So the first time that I was able to do this, like in 2020 and 2021, Ryan Tannehill was my guy. Ryan Tannehill was the leading touchdown scorer, profits, 15 units in profit in 2021. The, uh, the, most profitable quarterback this year was actually Joe Burrow. He actually would have had, if you had bet him every week, you would have been up 17.7 units in profit. He finished with five touchdowns. So this year coming up, the kind of quarterbacks that you want to look at are the guys who have that athleticism, but make their money throwing the ball. And we're going to finish in between the five to eight touchdown range and have typically plus 400 to plus 600 odds to score a touchdown. Guys like that, that fit that mold are like Trevor Lawrence or even a Justin Herbert as well, who, again, you would think from a passing standpoint, that's the way that they would make their money, especially with Austin Eckler. But Justin Herbert is a guy who you could probably see rush for five touchdowns and replace Joe Burrow in that top 10. So that's the first takeaway. The second takeaway is stop betting on touchdown scores with minus odds. So I track the odds every week for every player, minus odds, plus odds, you name it. For the season, if you would bet on minus odds players, minus odd players finished 48.4% overall. So if you set a touchdown score at minus 120, that's about 54% implied probability. But you're betting into a market that has a 48% hit rate. So it's a minus EV bet every time. To me, every time that somebody brings up a minus touchdown score, it's like the same argument of somebody telling me that they're going to tease through zero. Of course, you can do it. And you can eventually win some bets here or there doing that. But long-term, that is a bad strategy. You have to pick your spots if you're going to do that or just avoid it altogether. And don't let social media fool you with people seeing these six favorites, uh, cashing parlay kind of thing, like $10 paying 10000 kind of stuff. Don't let social media fool you because a lot of those people who are betting on that have 50 other tickets all based all around that. And then they, they just show you the winner. So so the other thing I wanted to just talk about that is some players that people would normally bet in this spot, a Travis Kelsey. If you would bet Travis Kelsey for an anytime touchdown in every game this season, you would have been down four and a half units. Jamal Williams, who finished with the most rushing touchdowns, you'd only be up 3.8 units in profit, didn't even finish inside the top 50 in profits. Jalen Hurts, another one, 3.9 units, units in profit. And then from a receiving standpoint, I know I bet on him, Devontae Adams, 14 touchdowns. If you would bet him every week, you would have made 1.4 units in profit. Wow. So again, just those kinds of guys, I'm not saying not to bet them, just just be careful when you're doing that. Now, from an interception prop standpoint, Plus money interceptions is the way to go. So plus money quarterbacks this year went 81 and 75. You think, okay, well, they only finished six wins more than, than you lost. Well, actually, if you had bet them blindly the entire year, you would have been up 24 and a half units in profit, just taking plus money interception props. Now, unfortunately, one of the guys that led to a lot of those profits is a quarterback from my team, Dak Prescott, who led all quarterbacks in interception profits with 8.6 units if you would just bet his interception prop every week. So that was painful. But at the same time, I'm more in it to make money than I am in my fandom. So that's the angle that I would take is plus money interceptions. Don't best bet on minus odd touchdown scores and try to identify a quarterback that you think is going to have a big year rushing the football. And two guys that I've identified is Trevor Lawrence and Justin Herbert for 2023. I don't even want to know how many units people would have lost on Jonathan Taylor because he was the sexy pick right coming into the year. Well, After having an MVP caliber season on the ground, he was like, oh, it should be the quarterbacks. And I'm talking last year now entering this season after last year, it was, well, you know, all these quarterbacks that are in the mix. And then there's Jonathan Taylor, who was the MVP of a lot of fantasy leagues. The well, year last prior. year, he only finished with just over uh, four units in profit. Had you bet him every there you week. Go. This, this year, uh, again, injury concerns and stuff like that. So I don't want to completely hold this against him. But if you had bet him every game that he had played, you would have finished down 3.15 units. I, I love how you just had that ready to go. And I didn't even have to warn you. It's just, it's it's terrific. So, okay. I want to ask one more before we go to the, the hot read. So who is your like, picture it now. It's week one or it's it's the preseason week three and you're getting ready to go to give your week one touchdown picks who's going to be that guy where you're like don't do it don't don't take the bait on blank that is going to be a favorite of a lot of people well if you had to guess 
I mean, I think the obvious guy that you would immediately look to is Derrick Henry. Yeah, uh, Derrick Henry is probably going to be around minus 140, minus 150 every week. And Derrick Henry is historically a slow starter. Uh, you look at the first three weeks of games uh, over the last few seasons, uh, barring that injury aside, uh, he doesn't really blow up. It's more closer to the second half of the season than when you see those explosions of like the three touchdown game, two touchdown game. And even then, you know, the Titans offense is so limited and they're so one dimensional that, yes, he's going to get the volume. But at the same time, he, it just may not work out. So betting on a minus 150, a lot of the time what people would do is either single bet it or put it as a leg on a parlay. And Derrick Henry, again, I think he's an amazing running back in real life. But for betting it for touchdown scores, it's a trap. OK, keep that in mind, folks. Hot read time. Hot rap. Blue 17. Oh, nice right. Ice cream. Jose. We'll go. We'll just do both of these uh, from each of you. Then we'll, uh, we'll we'll do some thank yous and get out of here. Brandon Anderson, hot read. What do we like for uh, a champion for next year and an MVP? Yeah. So uh, obviously a champion around this time of the year, you always want to say, okay, well, the chiefs are the champion who are next year's chiefs. Uh, it doesn't really work. Next year's chiefs are just the chiefs again. They have Patrick Mahomes. There's only one of them. So I'll try to go for next year's Eagles. We're looking for a team that's great in the trenches. We want progressive coaching. We need a smart front office. And then you hope that maybe you get a quarterback that can make a leap like Jalen Hurts did this season and if I'm playing this time of the year before I even get the off-season stuff, before we get into all the good stuff into the year, for me, I'm only looking at long shots here. I, I don't need to rush and play Philadelphia or Kansas City or whoever. I'm trying to just get the best of a long number here. So go down the board. Give me the Cleveland Browns Whoa. plus 4,500. They fit the Eagles formula for me. Elite offensive line. Jadevian Clowney could be potentially the best play. You could, you know, he could be a DPOI sort of guy if they play well. Really talented secondary that was banged up a lot of this year. Elite running game. And they might already have the quarterback solution on the team. If Deshaun Watson, who, who we slandered plenty of this year, <laughs> but if he can, with a training camp and everything, kind of get back to what Deshaun Watson is. I didn't list him in that list of quarterbacks to come, but by talent, Deshaun Watson should be in that group not far off of Burrow, Allen, Justin Herbert. Like he should be in that mix of people. So I think 45 is just too long of a number for them uh, for next Eagles. And then next year's MVP, same thing. I'm only playing if I can find a name down, far down in the odds. So I got the jersey on representing. Give me San Francisco, Trey Lance, 50 to 1 odds right now. And the reason is simple. We saw the case this year. We saw just put me, put one of the two of you in at quarterback for the 49ers, and we're apparently an MVP candidate. Brock Purdy walked off of the last pick in the draft and nearly stole rookie of the year over the last, like, six weeks of the season. Trey Lance can do the running stuff. Trey Lance, I think, looks a lot like what Jalen Hurts could be as that sort of player if you put him in that system. And no team in the in the league, no system – is better set up to make a quarterback look good with Cal Shanahan's scheme, all those weapons, all the blocking and defense. Trey Lance, 50 to 1. I think the number is long because we don't know for sure. Will he be ready? Will he start over Purdy? Will Tom Brady unretire for the 700th time and come back and play for the Niners? <laughs> I think we're buying some value there. Last year on this team, Jalen Hurts was like 40 to 1 MVP and got bet down to closer to 25 to 1 before the start of the year. And then I kind of talk myself out of the value of it. This is the time now to get Trey Lance because once he's the sure starter and looking healthy and everything, I think it was 50 to one ends up more like 20 or 25 to one for the exact same situation. So give me the Browns and Trey Lance. That's the story next season. Jill. Right, well, yeah, I'll, I'll take a swing at this. Um, now I will say if you're not looking at the long shots and you're looking just to pick a team, that's it. And you're not like thinking about odds specifically. I think the Bengals are still in a good spot to be able to come back and get out of the AFC sitting around nine to one. Again, I'm not going to really try to talk you into it at this stage. I feel like you can get them. You could wait till week one <laughs> before you make that bet. But the long shots that I wanted to ask uh, about um, is specifically about Seahawks and the Seahawk Island. Um, they got a ton of cap room. They've got three picks on the top 40. They've got a top five pick and then their own pick. 
the Cardinals are a mess. The Rams, I'm not sure if they're going to be able to manifest kind of getting back to where they were. Uh, so the division, I don't want to say is wide open, but it just, again, we don't really know the quarterback situation as well for the Niners that the Seahawks at 60 to one, you know, could be a team that we're maybe looking at that has one of the better records in the NFC by the end of the season. And then you're sitting on a pretty valuable ticket. Um, now from an MVP standpoint, I'm probably just going to double down on what Brandon said, just because of Deshaun Watson sitting there at 25 to one, that if they get to that stage, you know, Deshaun Watson could definitely be a factor as well. And just where he's at from uh, he's not in that top group, you know, of the Mahomes, Burrow, uh, Josh Allen, but again, just outside that range. So if they were able to have some early success, you could see that 25 go down to 10 to one fairly easily. But I wanted to pose a question to you, Brandon, because you're talking about building out your portfolios and looking at, you know, futures odds. The question I wanted to ask you is, and it pertains to Aaron Rodgers, is there potential value on sprinkling on the New York Jets now at 25 to 1? Because even if it's not Rodgers, you know their quarterback situation is likely to improve because they're either there's a few vet quarterbacks that are out there, a Derek Carr. Uh, Brady again if we're joking if he does come out of retirement but Rodgers as well what I'm asking is if I'm a futures better should this be the time where maybe I put a unit down on that just to have the portfolio start to build up for 2023 or is 25 to 1 just not enough value even if uh, the Rodgers potential is out there yeah, I think the hard part is that I think you're right on both parts there. I think, yes, the Jets roster is absolutely set up to be a team that you get the right quarterback to step in and, oh, man, now we're cooking. We got a great coaching staff. We had an improving offensive line, lots of weapons, obviously elite defense already. Suddenly, like that looks a lot like maybe what the 49ers look like, kind of a younger version of that team coming He's around. Close. The problem is that that 25 to one, I think that we're already getting that priced in a little bit. I think they're yeah. taking advantage of our desire to bet the jets to be that team. So it's where it's kind of a hedge. It's like when you're going into a game and we don't know if the guy's going to play and you got the line kind of stuck right in the middle there. I feel like we're, we're paying a little bit of that for Aaron Rodgers. So, but I think you're right. We're not getting Zach Wilson again. So even if it's like, if it's Derek Carr, I think that it stays at this number. Like, I think we're at least getting a median outcome, some version of quarterback here. But yeah, I, I think you're right to look for that. I have an article up at Action Network from before the Super Bowl on which, who's the next Eagles? Who's the next Bucks? Who's the next Bucks from two years ago? Not this year. Hopefully nobody is that version. Who are all those teams? And then new one today, who are the teams that have the most QB ready rosters? And the Jets certainly are, are near the top of the list. My question back for you, Jill, then we can wrap up. MVP, you, I think you didn't go quite far enough, far enough down the board. I got one more for you. 50 to 1 MVP, Joe. Russell Wilson, baby. No, Broncos revenge tour. Oh, 50 geez. to 1. Are you in? Broncos country, let's rock. What a great way to end the recap pod by having <laughs> me talk about the most inept team I've ever watched in the NFL. <laughs> and, and like, it's... So painful to watch a Broncos game. I, that was a point that I wanted to bring up about earlier, about how it was almost hilarious of how we as NFL fans got subjected to seven primetime games involving the Houston Texans, the Denver Broncos, and the Indianapolis Colts. Two of those teams that I think schedule makers and even odds makers to a lesser extent probably had higher expectations for, I mean, the Colts were favored to probably win the AFC South. You know, Russell Wilson coming to the Broncos. A lot of people thought that offense wasn't going to be anemic. In fact, it went the other way. So the even the fact that we got subjected to Broncos Colts, Thursday night football, 12 to 9, it might have been the best worst game of football we have ever watched. And it'll go down in history as just being the ugliest game of football we ever watched, where it was so bad, it was good. Sometimes a game can be so bad, it's almost good. You know what I'm saying? No. Oh. One more frozen pizza to end the year. I really don't have anything to offer you guys except for a frozen pizza. Okay, we got to hand out some thank yous and get out of here. Uh, David Payne, our producer for most of the year as it pertains to our recap episodes. David, great job. Thanks for getting us up on the air. You, you kept us in line. Okay, wrap it up. 
how many minutes are we into the program? Like we're doing that right now. He's like, all right, let's go. You got to go. You got to move on with the day. So David, thank you for everything you've done. Edits, uh, the list grows as I, as I think it out. Matt Mitchell is the, uh, the straw that stirs the drink. If you will, uh, he's the one that got us all together, got us up on the air, keeps the structure, good constructive criticism, keeps it fun. Uh, Mitchell's a, is a gem uncle Mitch. Thank you for everything. And, uh, yeah, thanks for letting us do this really. Um, listeners phenomenal. Uh, we appreciate it. Your listenership is very uh, reflects why we get to do this. So thank you. Um, Raybon Stucky, Luke Swain, who does the best bets pod with us every week. Luke was awesome. Luke had a really heartfelt. Thank you. Uh, on the last best bets pod. Um, and you too, you guys were awesome all year. Jill, Brandon, I learned so much from this entire season. I feel like a listener when I do this episode with you guys every week. I'm just thinking, oh, never looked at it that way. Or, oh, that's good to keep in mind. So you made me feel smarter about this space. So I thank you both very much for your help to make me better at what I do. And I look forward to more in the offseason and heading into next year. All things NFL offseason, free agency, draft, whatever it may be, will come your way at Action Network. Stay tuned. The podcast, also our daily content uh, throughout the course of the week. ActionNetwork.com. You can download the free app as well. Okay, that's it. Thank you, everybody, for listening. For Joe Gallant, Brandon Anderson, David Payne, as well as Matt Mitchell behind the scenes, Brendan Glasheen. Thanks for listening to the Action Network podcast presented by FanDuel. You all have a great offseason. We'll see you next football season. Action Network reminds you, please gamble responsibly. If you or someone you care about has a gambling problem, help is available 24-7 at 1-800-GAMBLER.